trust the process of faith. That's the sermon series, and that's the idea that we're going to follow through. We're going to think about what it means to trust the process of faith, and what that basically means is that if you're a disciple of Jesus, then there are going to be times when you're going to realize that you have to trust someone who's in control, and it's not you. A lot of times we can sort of be a little bit, uh, that truth can be hidden from us. We think that we have enough resources or that we have good health or that we have our family and friends around us. And it feels sometimes at that point, like I got this okay, you know, I'm in control. But sometimes that veil is lifted and we can see that we have to trust someone else who's really in control. So that's what we're thinking about through this summer series, Trusting the Process of Faith. And I want you to notice how our pastor Christian, he structured even the title of the sermon series. Trust the process of faith. Trust there is a verb. And sometimes trust is a a noun. You could say, I have trust, like it's something that you're carrying around. But as a disciple of Jesus, you really want to think about trust more as a verb. It's something that you're doing. It's an ongoing choice. It's a series of actions that you will take when you confront difficult situations and you will choose to trust. It's a verb. And you can see that in the word process as well. That again, process could be a noun and you could say, I've got faith. Do you have faith? I have faith. But no, no. When it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, faith is the ongoing recognition of God's sovereignty, the ongoing recognition of God's love. And so what we want to do is look at people in the Old Testament who faced difficult situations, and they had to trust the process of faith. So each week we'll look at that, and we hope we can apply it to our lives too. And today I'm going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys know those guys a little bit? You ever heard of them? They're good friends of mine. I'm excited to introduce them to you. And it's a long story that we're going to go through. In fact, tonight, if you would, I think it might be a good idea for you to read the whole of chapter three of the book of Daniel. That's what we're going to be looking at. I don't want to read that whole thing today because if I read it, then I would be out of time to talk. And I love to talk. Uh, So I'm going to give you a little backstory on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before we read our scripture verse. Is that all right? Okay, so here's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Israelites. They were born in Israel, they're Jews. But as our story opens up, they are not in Israel. They are in Babylon. And they're in Babylon because Babylon was the major world military and economic power, and they had gone into Israel, and they invaded it, and they had conquered it. And what they did then was what they usually did to countries that they conquered. They took the intelligentsia, the ruling class, the artisans, the military officers, the tradespeople, the carpenters, and they brought them back to Babylon to work in Babylon. It was a further way of conquering them. And do you know what else they did? When they took these professional classes and they brought them back to Babylon, they put them in a kind of a re-education system. They taught them Babylonian literature and culture and music and even the foods that they ate in Babylon. And do you know why they did that? They said, when you're here in Babylon, you have to be like us. You can do anything that you want to do when you're back at home. But when you're with us, you have to worship our gods. And this is the important part. You have to live in the way of life that we do. Back at home, you can pray. You can believe in the God of Israel. In fact, the Babylonians believed in lots of different gods. But when you're with us, you have to live among us. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were confronting when they were in Babylon. Because the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, don't ever try to spell it. Spell check will get you every time. It's a terrible name to spell. 
Nebuchadnezzar erected this huge statue. And the statue was a representation of all of the gods and values of Babylon. He put an orchestra around uh, this god, this, this, this statue. And he said, anytime the orchestra plays, everybody has to bow down. It was kind of in the public square. It was kind of a test. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they heard that orchestra, they did not bow down. They refused to bow their knee to this other way of life, this other way of living. And when Nebuchadnezzar finds out, he's very, very angry. And this is where we're going to take up our story now. We're going to begin at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, I told you it was an orchestra, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This kind of preaches itself, doesn't it? Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. It's been given to us in love. Would you please pray with me before we think about this together? Let's pray. Dear God, now as I speak, as we all think and as we feel what's going on in this story, help us to know how much you love us and help us to love you back. We pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. We're talking about trust. So I want to look at trust in three ways in this story. We're going to look at trusting God when you bow down to him instead of the world. Trusting God for who he is. And trusting God when you're in the fire. Trusting God when you bow down to him instead of the world. Trusting God for who he is. And trusting God when you're in the fire. Here's the first point. It's really too long of a title for this first point, but I couldn't think of another one. Trusting God when you bow down to him instead of the world. That's a long description, but I can give it very briefly as to what it means. It means that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being asked to bow down to a way of life which is contrary to the God of love. They're being asked to bow down in the public square. Remember where this is. It's in a kind of a big public place, and so it's a way of Nebuchadnezzar saying, when you are here with us, you're one of us. When you're back at home, you can keep a prayer journal. You can have our daily bread at the side of your bed. You can listen to Christian music on the record player. Because at this time, this is a long time ago, they didn't have Spotify. They didn't have Apple Music. They were still listening to vinyl records at this time. So they said, you can listen to Christian music all you want. But when you're with us, you're one of us. When you're doing business, you have to do business like we do it. And I was trying to think about what would be the common areas, what would be the public places in our, in our world. Imagine a God like this was set up and we had to all bow down to it. Maybe it would be like a downtown area, maybe a public park. Or here's another way that I thought about it. What's a public area, a common area that many of us are in? Facebook. Facebook is this common area where people that you know, you get to see how they interact with others. You get to see who they really are in some ways. And Nebuchadnezzar is here saying, when you're with us, you're one of us. You can't bring your old way of life. You can't assent to another God. You can have some other God if it makes you feel better. But when you're with us, you're one of us. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hear that, they say no. We are not going to change who we are. We are not going to change our identities. And listen, here's something that's really interesting. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're working for the government. They're obeying what Jeremiah 29 says. Jeremiah was a prophet to Israel at that time, and he said, you're going to get deported to Israel, but when you do, work for the good of the city. Work for the good of the people there, but... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand and they know they have to do it in the way of God's love and compassion and truth. And what this is teaching all of us is that sometimes as followers of Jesus, you are going to be asked to do things and live in ways which are contrary to the God of love and truth and justice. It's going to happen all the time. You're going to be asked to bow down to another kind of God in your life. And you're going to be asked to do it in a public way so that the way that you're living is just like everybody else. You may be following out that way of life in your private life, but in the public square, there's going to be pressure on you to live in a way which is contrary to the God of love. You following me? So sometimes this happens in all kinds of different ways. Maybe in business. Maybe you're a business person and everybody around you is cutthroat. And everybody around you is just this barely side of legal. There's going to be a lot of pressure on you to do the same thing, to keep your head above water, to be able to keep up with the people around you. There's going to be pressure on you. Or you might be in a situation, this could be at work or it could be in your personal life. You're going to be in a situation where maybe you know something about someone and it's not very flattering. 
And you don't have to tell anybody, but to tell somebody kind of feels a little bit good. It feels a little bit like you're kind of making yourself distinction. So you might say a little something rotten about somebody else. It's this pressure. It's this kind of conformity that we're all pushed to. Those of you who are in high school and middle school, I want you to listen to me for a second. High schoolers, middle schoolers, there are going to be conversations that you're going to have in your, in your school where people are going to, it'll just be quiet, it'll be really subtle, but to say kind of slightly nasty things about somebody around you. To do it in a such a way where you can kind of be on the in crowd and that person will be on the outside crowd. And if you think this is something that only kids do, it's not. Adults do this all the time too. And there's gonna be this pressure and this conformity. We all are gonna face it in all kinds of different ways. But this morning, I want us to think about a pressure, a societal God of culture that's pressuring all of us. Everybody is gonna face it in distinct ways, but all of us are gonna face it, I think, in this one particular way because it comes to us from the left, the liberal side. It comes to us from the right, the conservative side. It comes to us from a religious people. It comes to us from non-religious people. There's hardly anything that our whole culture is agreeing on and pressuring us, but there's one thing that everybody agrees on that people are not divided on, and it's that we should be divided. That's the pressure that's coming from everywhere. And if you don't feel it, you might be a little bit like that fish that's in the, the, the aquarium, and another fish comes by and says, how's the water today? And that first fish says, what's water? Well, that water that's all around us is this pressure for us to separate and divide and just a little bit, not, not, but just a little demonized, just a little bit. The God that our entire culture bows down to is that of being divided, that we should oppose the people that disagree with us, that we should try to take them down a little bit. We think, well, this is an important issue. I got I to gotta take them down. And if I do it a little, I got to do it. That we should unfriend and unfollow people that think differently than we do. That we should separate ourselves and not be together with people who we think are really in the wrong. And everybody agrees on this. The societal pressure of our culture, it's coming from all sides. That's what you hear on CNN, and that's what you hear on Fox News. They don't agree with much. But they do agree that the people that are on the other side, you got to stay clear of them. They're not good folks. And it's coming to us from even religious people. It comes to us from churches say, we got to separate. We've got to be divided in a way. And we not only kind of divide, we actually even part ways sometimes. Family members who say, I cannot abide by what this person, I don't, their politics, their politics on gun laws or immigration or abortion or on sexuality or how racism is handled. I just can't, I can't do it anymore. Friends who have divided over issues of masks. You just gotta say, well, I can't, I can't be close to. And this is the societal pressure. It's the God that all of us are asked to bow down to. And I think of this way because I see it all around you, and you see it too, but I also think of it because this God of division that we're all asked to bow down to, it wasn't only alive and well now, it was alive and well in the life of Jesus, in the time of Jesus. And what I want to do now is I want to show you what Jesus did in the face of people who are asking him divide, to divide, asking him to stay clear of people who disagreed. You and I are disciples of Jesus, or you might be thinking about being a disciple of Jesus. We want to know what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
look at this. I mean, think about this very carefully. Jesus is eating with people who are his dedicated enemies, the people who are, who are opposing him in every kind of way. The people that Jesus sat down with, they were people who opposed him when it came to moral issues, sexuality, and the family. They were people that opposed him when it came to religious things. He's sitting down with tax collectors who were thieves and also liars and also betraying God's people. And he's sitting down and eating with them. And he's sitting down and eating with them because that's just about the most intimate thing you can do, to sit down and break bread with somebody. Now, he doesn't necessarily agree with them, but he's eating with them. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you guys don't care about the law. I can't be, I can't be close to you. And if I'm going to get together with you, I'm going to talk to you about how you're wrong. He doesn't do it. And his enemies, his opponents, the Pharisees, you see the Pharisees here? They're like, this guy must be soft on the law. This guy must be soft on sin. He's sitting down with all the wrong people. And so the Pharisees are saying, eh, we, can't, we can't trust this guy. But Jesus is sitting down with his enemies. But look at also, look at who else he's sitting down with. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. He's not just eating with the immoral people. He's eating with the super moral people. And look at who they are. They're the Pharisees who want him dead. They are his enemies. And I will listen to this very carefully. They think that he's their enemy. He does not think that they are his enemy. No. Jesus is sitting down, and he sits down with people who are the immoral, who don't care about the law, and he's sitting down with the people who are super moral, and they really care about the law. And what he's doing is he's showing us, he's giving us an example of what it means to live a different kind of life and ignore this God that says, you need to separate, you need to get away from. And look at how, how does it happen? How does he do it? How does he end up sitting down and eating with these people? Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a thief. He was somebody that probably engaged in violence to extract money from Jews who were being occupied by Rome. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He's inviting himself to dinner. And some of you might think, I would maybe, maybe have a meal with somebody, but I don't really know anybody who's different from me. You know, I don't really, I, I maybe, and Jesus said, I, I'm just going to take care of that. I'm inviting myself over. And he goes and he says, and he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the Pharisees, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You can see here the spirit of division. The Pharisees are like, that's no good. Because when people take a stand in their principle, they got to stay away. Jesus says, um, no. No, 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 I'm going to break bread. And again, some of you may be thinking, man, these really important issues. There's a person who disagrees with me on abortion or immigration or baptism or sexuality. And I'm not sure I could ever eat with them. And Jesus says, I'm eating with the people even that are separate from me on these issues. I'm going to be together with them. And Jesus here is practicing hospitality and love with the people who oppose him who opposed God's word. And again, some of you, some of us might be thinking, man, scripture is really important. Guys, Jesus wrote the scripture. Okay, he's sitting down with people who are like, I don't like what you say. I'm trying to put you to death. And Jesus is there feasting with them. Do you see what an enormous gift that the church has to give the world? Do you see the enormous gift that we have to give the world of a way of life in a community which not is, based, is not based on division? 
that Jesus is looking at these people. They think that they're his enemies. They're not. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you are God's children and you're made in the image of God and that's how they're treating him. You know, I'm speaking to you as somebody whose mind has changed on this a little bit. We are about to practice what we are all thinking about, which is breaking bread together, sharing wine with people, and the thing that we share in common the most is that we are loved by God in Jesus Christ. And we may disagree with the people around us on a political issue or on a moral issue or on a social issue. And at one point in my life, I think, man, you really got to be on the same page on all these things or else you probably shouldn't have communion together. And I can't continue to believe that because I'm looking here at Jesus and he's breaking bread with everybody. He's breaking bread with people who want to come and be together with him. And that's the prerequisite to come to the Lord's table to want to come and be near to Jesus. You guys are all getting really quiet. I don't know if you want to come up here and slap me or if you agree. Do you, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I'm just going to put it out there. You don't need to tell me. I'm just asking you to look at what Jesus did. I can't do anything about this. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And if you want to follow Jesus, you better get behind him and follow him to these meals that he's having with the super religious people and with the people who don't want to have anything to do with religion and everybody in between, he's sitting down with them. He's not bowing down to the culture that's saying, hey, you should be divided. Be with people that look like you, act like you, believe like you. Look at the people around you and if they have bad ideas, that means they're bad people. And Jesus won't do it. Jesus is saying, this is a child of God before me. That's the first thing that uh, we need to trust God in a situation where we're bowing down to him and not to the, to the gods of our cultures. Here's the second one, is that we're gonna trust God for who he is, trusting God for who he is. The second kind of trust you can see is one of my favorite passages in all scripture. It's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king. Man, they are cool as cucumbers, look at this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Just, I'm going to read this. This is, where did they get this confidence? There is a roaring fire. There's a furnace right next to them. There's the most powerful person in the world. They are bound. And they're saying, all you have to do is just, just bow your head a little bit. And they very easily could have, couldn't you explain that away? You say, I'm just going to bow. It doesn't, I don't really believe it in my heart. I'm bowing with my physical knee, but not with my spiritual knee. And they say, no, 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 King, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. They say he's strong enough. Nebuchadnezzar, your strength is nothing. This furnace means nothing. Your words trying to pull us into a life of division and separation, it means nothing to us. Our God can deliver us out of your hand, O King, but if not, Would you all say that with me? But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. That's the key phrase there, but if not. They're saying we know God can save us. He's powerful enough to. He's strong enough. He's good enough to do it. And God may choose to save us from this service. He might choose to save us from this furnace. But if not, we're still gonna just worship him. Now, that's to say that they are trusting God for who he is. They are not trusting God for what they're gonna get from him because what they might get is burned. 
but they're not looking at the things that God is giving them. They're looking at God himself. They're, they're doing something which I would pray and hope for every single one of us, me most of all, because I'm not sure I can see it, to love God for who he is. Just his very presence, his love, and the knowledge that he holds all things, and that in him all will be well. They're saying we don't love God for what he does for us, not for the things that he does for us. We're loving him because of who he is. And now, I've known people, and maybe you have too, who said something along these lines. You know, I trusted God. I believed in God. I went to church. I gave money. I served on the committees. I did all of these things. And then when it came down to it, when the chips were down, I trusted God that he would take care of this thing. I trusted God that the sick person I love would get healthy. Or I trusted that my marriage would stay together. Or I trusted that God would bring about some kind of justice or love in this crazy world, and it didn't happen, and I just don't think I can trust God anymore. I'm not going to do it. See, what happens then, it's so understandable, but you're trusting what God is going to give you. You're not trusting God himself. And that phrase, but if not, that's a phrase that every single one of us is going to say. It just depends on how we say it. So we might say, I really hope that I'm going to have good health, that I'm going to have a good job, that I'm going to have the life I want. But if not, I'm not going to be a follower. I can't trust God. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're showing us another way. They're saying, things may fall apart. I may, I may have to face the fire. I may have to be in the fire. But if not, if God doesn't take it away, I'm still going to believe in him. I'm still going to trust him. And they are so confident. They have a kind of faith which is undergirded by not the circumstances that they're living in, but by God's faithfulness to them. And you can see from what they're saying, you know what? They're already saved. They are already through the fire in some ways. One commentator that I read on this said that, you know, God made them fireproof when they went in the furnace, but they're already spiritually fireproof. They already have been delivered from a kind of bondage that says you have to love God for what he gives you. They've put all that aside. They're trusting God for who he is. And they're able to receive something that you'll only get when you put all those other things aside and say, even though things are difficult, even though I'm in the fire, I know that I can trust God. So that's the second kind of trust. Trusting God when things, you're trusting God for who he is. Here's the third one, is trusting God when you're in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God in the fire. And you know why they trusted him in the fire? Because he was there. He's in the fire with them. You know, you can kind of see it in their speech. They're very confident. They're very, um, they're grounded. But they're not talking like people who have God right there with them. They're saying, we're not sure what God's going to do. He might save us, but if not, we still trust him. But look, it's very different when they get into the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared, did we not cast three men bound into this fire? But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. God does not impose difficult, terrible, horrible things on you in order to test you somehow. I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches at all, but what the Bible does teach is that when this world conspires to put you in a furnace, when you get into a conflict or a difficult situation, that God will be with you there in ways that you may not have seen otherwise. That it says here that, Nebuchadnezzar says more than he knows. 
He says, I see four men abound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Another translation can be, I see a divine being. And that's who it is. Because throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see little glimmers, little flickers of God's manifestation being close to people who are in trouble. And who you see that to be as you continue to read scripture is that Jesus Christ is close to people who are in the fire. He is close to people who are in the most dire of circumstances. Nebuchadnezzar later says, he says he sees God's angel. It's the angel of the Lord, and that's Jesus. And he was in the fire with them. And the kind of confidence they can have when he's right there with them, look, it says also that they're unbound. They were bound. But when you're with Jesus, even in the fire, you are unbound. You are free in a way that you can never be otherwise. And friends, what we know even more than that about Jesus is that he faced the hottest fire for us, the deepest fire for us. On the cross, Jesus Christ takes on the bondage and the fire of all of our rebellion, all of our lack of trust. And he takes it on so that we can be welcomed into his presence. That's who each one of you Each one of you are people who've been invited into God's presence and that the fire now is something that can't reach you, it can't touch you. And the difficult spots that we're gonna be in, they're hard, but when we trust God, he is with us in the fire. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to help us to trust, to help us to know that he is with us in the fire. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are well acquainted with the fire. You are a Lord who comes near to us. You were with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. You kept the fire from hurting them ultimately. And you faced the fire for each one of us as well. And you're going to be with us. Help us, give us eyes to see you. Give us eyes to see your presence when things are very difficult. Help us to trust you. That's a hard thing to do. We want to trust in things that we can see more clearly. We want to trust in what feels tangible to us. But Jesus, there's nothing more tangible than you. You are raised from the dead and you are ruling and reigning and you are with each one of us. Help each one of us to see it and to feel it, that you're with us in the fire. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.